This week's TribCast is brought to you by the Annette Strauss Institute for Civic Life at the University of Texas at Austin. Visit their website at annettestrauss.org to purchase tickets for Great Conversations 2016 Election Edition and attend an evening of good food and great conversations with people such as yours truly, Jay Root, Paul Begala, Charlie Cook, several noteworthy Texas elected leaders, and others. Again, that's annettestrauss.org. Click on Great Conversations 2016 and support civic life in Texas. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are And welcome to the TribCast. This is Texas A&M University San Antonio President Cynthia Teniente Mountain. Most of the acceptance letters have gone out for our inaugural freshman class, but we realized there were four more people who could really benefit from the education and opportunity we provide our students. So I'm here to offer a conditional acceptance to the TribCast crew pending the completion of 30 minutes of coherent, insightful podcasting. Congratulations. And now, here's your host, Ross Ramsey. Thank you. I don't think you're going to have to hand out any scholarships since none of this is ever coherent. Um, this is Ross Ramsey here with the TribCast for the fourth week of March. I'm joined by Editor-in-Chief and CEO Evan Smith. You know, it might not be bad to spend four years in San Antonio in college. That's actually – college seems, compared to the stuff that we're doing now, to be pretty fun. I could, I could try this this career thing again with a college degree this time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> also joined by uh, reporters Patrick Svitek and Matthew Watkins. Hello. Hello. Is Watkins going to talk about the Northern Iowa UT basketball game and explain to me what the hell happened there at the end? That's, I, I, that, that was the Jesus shot, right? Yeah. I think, oh, right. That right. was Sid Miller's yeah, Jesus about, shot. You're talking about the if Jesus only shot. he has gone to Iowa instead well, of Oklahoma. That team has been involved in the two <laughs> well, the game most was in Oklahoma. two of the most interesting games this year. You know, they they killed Texas with that shot, oh and God. then they had the Aggies. Not, an Aggie, not since right? Jeb Bush has there been as big a choke. Right, oh gosh, twelve points, forty-four seconds. A chalk, right. a chalk. Is that wow. what they call it? A ch- oh, it's a chalk because they're the chalkers, right? Is that was that was that somebody else? No, the Wichita State guys are the chalkers. Uh, but enough men on sports. Uh, <laughs> let's do men on. Let's instead do white men on politics. Well, let's talk about let's talk let's talk about politics, and then we'll come back to sports money. Um, Start with last night. We're taping this on Wednesday morning. This is Svitek's um, usual Wednesday morning wrap up right, of the, the Tuesday primaries. True. The Svitek closer. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah, so there were two uh, nominating contests last night in uh, Utah and in Arizona. There was a winner-take-all primary in Arizona that Trump was Donald Trump was favored to win. He ended up winning it and collecting all he smoked uh, everybody, didn't 58 he? delegates there. Um, and I, last time I checked, I think 75% of the vote was in, and he was leading Cruz by 20-some points. And last night, even as the vote was coming in, that was kind of the consistent margin. Um, Although, I love this. I love the kind of head fake. Cruz's guy said, uh, uh, Jeff Rowe, Cruz's campaign manager, manager tweeted, Hold on, I don't want to go all Carl Rove on you, yeah. but I think that the vote's not going to turn out the way this that is, the networks yeah, are calling it. This is what they were saying even before last it's night. They, they were saying, well, wait until the election day vote because that will reflect more of the three-man race or the effectively two-man race that we currently have. Um, but again, more than, you know, we have 75% of the vote in and, it, and it's still a 20-some point 
So I know market. in some places yeah. in um, Phoenix and its suburbs, they had lines that went yeah. three hours. Still, was, people, was, still was, people was, was yeah, talking so to the people. In, in all line. fairness, I don't know which precincts specifically have, have yet to report. So there could still be a tightening of that. Was that, he just talking yeah. to the people in line? It's important yeah. that you keep voting. <laughs> well, stay well, there. Well, well, Order honestly, a pizza, look, stay look, in line. Right. I, I've heard some, we lost, but we won rationalizations before. Yeah. I mean, this is at the campaign in which Marco Rubio ran for president. So. Yeah. This is like the Super Bowl of I sure. lost, but I won rationalizations. Yeah, right. But that, to my mind, was amazing. And then they kept going all night. They said, well, you know, if you if you just look at the Election Day vote mm-hmm. and you don't look at the early vote because the early vote reflected this race at a different time, we actually are going to win. And you should take our performance on Election Day as a sign of momentum. That's not how this works. Yeah. That's not just, how this works. If you just throw out those guys who finished in front of me, I was first. Yeah. Right. And that's again, <laughs> Cruz did essentially like a half Rubio last night, or, you know, yeah. in, 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 in claiming victory. Well, yeah, he had a more favorable outcome in, in Utah. They were holding their caucuses on Tuesday night, and Cruz easily uh, won all the delegates there. There were 40 delegates up for grabs. If you got more than 50% of the vote, uh, you collected all 40. He got. I he think, cleared it by a long he way, didn't he? Cleared it by a lot. He, he won by a bigger margin he, than I Trump think he'd won Arizona. Performed expectations there. Um, you know, there was a poll over the weekend that had him just over fifty percent. Last time I checked, eighty-five percent of the vote was in, and he had almost seventy percent of the vote. So, pretty decisive victory. In, in so, net, net sixteen delegates for Trump. For Trump. So Trump's lead uh, eight, gro- net eighteen. His, net his 18, lead yeah. grows, and yeah. that. Can we stop and talk about one aspect of this? So, there was a a Cruz Super PAC ad. Yeah. Against Trump. Right. In Utah. Well, it was it. Was, Right. Yeah, I mean, it's not even a. It's an anti-Trump super PAC. They're not. So it's not a pro. pro so okay. So it's yeah. not a. Cru- let's correct yeah. that. It's not a Cruz super PAC, but it was an anti-Trump super PAC. But the perception was that by virtue of their status as an anti-Trump super PAC, yeah. at this point, they're the the ad that Trump was referring to had a pro-Cruz message. Right. Effectively yeah. pro-Cruz. Yeah. And it featured a naked picture of of Trump's wife. Yeah. And it basically said, "This is your next first lady." It was a Facebook ad right. targeted at, I think, largely targeted at Mormon Mormons, voters in, in Utah. Who would be offended by this? Yeah. Well, let's remember that the the first pebble in the path to that ad was Andrea McWilliams. <laughs> right? Right? Andrea McWilliams' right. appearance on Fox as a cruise surrogate in quotes, whether she was a literal cruise surrogate or not. Who brought up right. the fact that Trump's wife posed naked first? <laughs> Right. Texas the, lobbyist Andrea McWilliams. Right. The she did moment was, you know, maybe she told the pack right. about it. And so, of course, the great kind of, you know, <laughs> classic in a year of classic Donald Trump campaign tweets, maybe the, the classicest Trumpist tweetist tweet was uh, Lion Ted's super PAC yeah. puts out an ad featuring my wife. Be careful or I'm going to go after your wife. And then he deletes it, and then he well, ups. he re- well, no, I thought this <laughs> was he re- great. He, he retweeted it to add a second lion <laughs> right. head. He right? said, what, you know, yeah. wait, 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 wait. I want to poke that guy in the other. I want to say it again. Yeah. Wait, let me, let me. Where's the edit function on this tweet deck? Wait a minute. Consistency, I think right? That's, like that's, the rest of us, Donald key. Trump is like the rest of us because he too is upset that he can't edit his tweets. Yeah. Ooh, he oh, I could have right. said that better. So, but but wives now we're going to go after wives. Well, I so love this campaign. I mean, this is classic Trump. He opened this door and said, you know, if you come after my wife, I'm going to come after yours. And half the half the national press went with what he would go after Heidi Cruz about was. What and, was it? I didn't actually see well, that. I don't even know that I want yeah. to dignify it, but what was it? Okay, according, according to the, the strategist for that super PAC, that anti-Trump super PAC, she's been getting a lot of email traffic or commentary from Trump supporters that they're trying to push uh, the stories about Heidi Cruz's bout of depression. The postpartum stuff? Trying to make right. that oh, kind that's of a, bullshit. A that's, a, that's off limits. I mean, look, um, but, but I have to say, I think that the naked Melania Trump is just as stupid 
And all you're doing is poking the bear with a stick, man. The, the, by which I mean the whole Trump support apparatus. Glad you explained that. Yeah. The, the best part was this Wednesday morning. Oh, right. Was yeah. Cruz was. I meant an actual stick, Ross. <laughs> Cruz did a bunch of uh, shows this morning, and his line that he was using to respond to this whole Twitter fiasco was if Donald wants to get in a character fight, he's better off sticking with me because Heidi is way out of his league, which turns out is essentially a spin on a line from the movie The American President. Um, that basically uses the same language. Oh, is and that so right? If people are joking that Aaron Sorkin is now effectively writing this presidential <laughs> race. <laughs> wow. Working for Cruz. Yeah, yeah uh, it is a case of uh, truth being stranger than fiction. So what's the next thing that happens in the presidential race? We've got Super Tuesday number sure. six? or No, we've got not, uh, non-existent Tuesday next Tuesday. We have two weeks off, effectively. No, don't tell me yeah. we're getting a break from this. <laughs> exactly. Whatever will you do? You'll the just next, sit there and refresh yeah, your browsers yeah, I'm sure for no reason. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so the next major contest is April 5th, the primary in Wisconsin. Um, not winner take all. It's more proportional. Um, and it's, you know, again, it's being billed as kind of an anti-Trump showdown. I mean, at this point, basically, the next state is always the anti-Trump right. uh, showdown. But given the time off and the fact that after that, the race will turn to northeastern states where Trump is kind of favored, I think you'll see a lot of investment and a lot of uh, time spent, time and money spent in Wisconsin by both. So he has now about 750 delegates, right? Plus or minus. Well, uh, Trump does. Trump does, yeah. right? And so the northeastern uh, states that you're referring to, there's about 300. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah, something, something delegates, yeah. of which at least. Steve Kornacki last night in doing that map BS that they now do on cable on every channel. He was saying he thought that conceivably Trump could win as many as 250 of those delegates. You're now getting to a place where you're over 1,000. And yeah. we're out of in sight at 1237 if you yep. do that. And yep. we're That's out of the California from right? here on, right? Yeah, I believe Utah was the last caucus setting. Um, right. And, you know, and people say, you know, Cruz is a caucus candidate. I was looking last night. I mean, there's, you know, this is a very rough estimate, but there's been maybe 10 caucuses, and he's only won, you know, four or five. So, I mean, yes, the caucuses are over. He probably and there are other states that have primaries coming up yeah, in the exactly. upper Midwest and in I mean, the I guess what, Northwest yeah. that, where he has the possibility. What encourages his campaign the most is that the majority of the states left are closed nominating contests where, where only registered Republicans or only registered Republicans and independents can vote. Um, you know, Trump has done well in these open primaries um, and open nominating contests where anyone can vote, Red, Republicans, Democrats, independents. Yep. And so going forward, the Cruz campaign, their, their public position is, you know, the, the, the format of these contests only gets better for us because it's just reliable Republicans are going to come out and, and vote. But if you're playing poker here, you'd much rather have Trump's hand. Yeah. Absolutely right. Oh I mean, God, this is. Totally. I mean, this is. This is. He's in. He's about to enter closing mode, right? I mean, if he can close this thing, that's that's what he wants to do. Yeah. You know, I know that they think that the press is rooting for Trump, and I think that that's largely crazy to blame the rise of Donald Trump on the media. We didn't cause this, but I will tell you, as a spectator of this thing, oh my God, it's just so great. And every time the guy opens his mouth and says something that would kill any other candidate, and then he does not die. It's really amazing. I, I want to do a it's walk. Amazing. I want to do a walk by on something that's come up in some stories about um, the rise from the grave of Rick Perry. Mm -hmm. um, he says he's not doing this. Um, the, the idea here is that the, either the convention produces another Republican or that some people dissatisfied with the nominee produce an independent. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit. Sure. So there's been some uh, reporting. I you know. Uh, over the past few weeks about Rick Perry as, as possibly being the choice of the anti-Trump forces if they were to uh, go that route. Um, I think his, you know, his, his team has largely, um, they haven't slammed the door on it, but they've firmly, you know, 
nudge the door in the, in the no, direction. Jeff, so. Jeff, uh, Jeff Miller seemed to yeah. close the door pretty firmly. I, I think, yeah, I guess where I'm getting right. that is from, you know, you see some of these TV interviews where, um, not Cruz, Perry, uh, seems to leave the door open just a little bit. Right. Um, I mean, I don't blame him. This is, you know, this but is such a crazy Cruz, cycle. Right? Like, yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, who knows what could happen? I mean, I, I, all these guys are probably just, you know, bracing for an even more uh, unpredictable race than we already have if, if it gets to a convention. Well, you know who would not support Rick Perry for president in that case? Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick said conclusively, oh, conclusively this yeah, week the only two true. people who legitimately have a claim on the nomination are going to be Cruz or Trump, and I'm going to draw a line in the sand against anybody who is not Trump or Cruz getting this nomination, yeah. Trump or Cruz, and that would presumably include even somebody he likes like Rick Perry who might be drafted to ride in on a white horse and save the party. You know, that was perceived to be an anti-Kasich play by Patrick. I take it to be a holding the door open to supporting Donald Trump play by By Dan Patrick. Right? Right. Because Patrick is essentially giving legitimacy to the idea that Trump could be the nominee, which a bunch of Cruz people are not willing to do. I don't believe Connie Burton is going to support um, uh, uh, Donald Trump in the end, but it sounds like Dan Patrick would. I also think if you're in the Stop Trump movement, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. If you're talking about third-party runs before the Trump has the delegates, right? I mean, you still want the the people voting in these these anti anti-Trump people running voting in these future primaries yeah. to be motivated to be out there, not to kind of be resigned to Trump getting the nomination and going towards the right. The and you have a bunch of people who are the least likely people in the world, it appears, who are supporting Cruz now as an entirely strategic decision. You had Lindsey Graham a couple of weeks ago, who had, Bush. who had previously threatened to kill Ted Cruz on the floor of the Senate, if I'm remembering correctly, coming around to say, he just said he could get away with it. He yeah. didn't actually. Coming around, coming around to say, I'm now going to support Ted Cruz, which got Cruz was very funny. You know, Cruz can be very funny in these situations. And Cruz said, you know, if you want proof that the God of Abraham, yeah. Isaac, and Jacob exists, <laughs> Lindsey Graham is holding a fundraiser for me. Um, I woke up this morning to discover that Jeb Bush had endorsed Ted Cruz. I thought I was having one of those bad dreams in which I woke uh, at 3 in the morning, sat up in bed, and yelled for my mommy. I thought it was not possible that uh, that this was happening. But, in fact, Jeb Bush is now endorsed. Um, but I loved over the weekend. I was driving around aimlessly this weekend somewhere, and I had CNN on because I didn't like what was on uh, you know, Sirius XM University or whatever I was listening to before <laughs> that. And so I put on CNN, and there's Neil Bush talking to Michael Smirkanish. And Neil Bush has now joined the campaign finance, national campaign finance team with Ted Cruz. I wondered who and listened to CNN on Saturday so afternoon. Smir- now we know. Like, right? I'm the only one. So Smirkanish, it's like Jeb Bush is one delegate. I am the one Michael Smirkanish <laughs> listener on CNN. So Smirkanish says to Neil Bush, who is Jeb Bush's brother, George W. Bush's brother, George H.W. Bush's son, and was obviously supporting his brother for president. He says, well, how come you're supporting Ted Cruz? He says, Ted Cruz was not my first choice. Ted Cruz is not my second choice. Ted Cruz is not my third choice. This is a strategic vote. Really? That's about as hard as you're going to sell it? Then he attempts to get people to give money to Ted Cruz, and he can't even (laughs) give the URL. He's like, it's tedcruz.org or tedcruz.com, something. Look it up, he says. (laughs) This is a guy on Ted Cruz's national finance team. You have people who are supporting Ted Cruz completely because he's not Donald Trump, and they could give a crap about Ted Cruz, and they do not support Ted Cruz 
they oppose Donald Trump. I think this there's, is, it's still worth noting, I think there's still a lot of consolidation to happen of that anti-Trump vote. I mean, there obviously he's gotten a lot of big names in recent days, but I think there's he still has a long way to go in terms right. of getting the support of elected officials. And who he doesn't have is Marco Rubio, which at this point mm-hmm. is amazing. What is Rubio doing? How much does Rubio hate Ted Cruz that Rubio won't endorse? Jeb Bush is endorsed. Lindsey Graham is endorsed. What is Marco Rubio well, waiting you know, for? There's also, I mean, is there also an anti-Ted Cruz vote that's consolidating? I mean, you're kind of down to two guys, and neither one of them seems to be able to put the majority together. What I don't know. What does the Ted Cruz vote look like? I don't know at this point what that looks like. Um, I think there's fewer people voting for yeah. Cruz than for Trump. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see what Scott Walker does. He's not ruled out making an endorsement for the Wisconsin primary. He said he wouldn't I, appear with anybody unless he endorsed them, right? Yeah, exactly. So he's not ruled out making an endorsement. Um, it sounds like he's deciding between Kasich and Cruz. And, you know, if you recall, he when he bowed out of the race, as we were talking about earlier, you know, he said we need an alternative to Donald Trump, essentially. And I think it's interesting because Scott Walker and Ted Cruz, if you follow their candidacies, they're both kind of like these political – I won't call them <laughs> not like hacks, but like political junkies who are like obsessed with process. Oh and I, Scott Walker, peace is a very... VTech at Texas Tribune. <laughs> Catherine, to Catherine Frazier from but me. The, and I think Scott Walker would, would would be someone who Ted Cruz could persuade as a uh, you know you need to come on my team because I have a credible path to the nomination. Um, that's I guess just he's my, got two my weeks to close yeah, that. Exactly. Wisconsin's already voting. I guess their early voting's underway. Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Great. Matthew, you've been in the. Now we'll talk about something people actually give. A yeah, let's about. go back to college sports. You know, we've you know, um, you can't talk about A and M's miracle anymore. Uh, but okay. but talk about A and M's football program. Sure. Well, um, we uh, l- last week uh, launched an app and a couple stories looking at the finances of the uh, universities that play top level college football in Texas. So that's eight schools. Uh, the public schools. The public schools. That's right. That's right. The public schools. Um, th- those eight. Schools, UT, A&M, Texas Tech, uh, playing in the major conferences, and then the the uh, smaller sports schools, UTEP, UNT, UTSA, Texas State, and Houston. And uh, basically, yeah, what we came away with is that I looked um, at the numbers from the past eight years and just seen what's kind of changed, what's grown, um, what's shrunk. And basically, the the takeaway was that spending in college football and in all college athletics has skyrocketed, which may not surprise people over the last eight years. Um, and basically over that time, the revenue at places like UT, A&M, and Tech has grown, while at the other universities, it hasn't really much. And so so they're just so the other five are just losing more money now. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's grown a little bit, but at nowhere near at the rate that the expenses are growing. And none of the others are profitable. Exactly. And none yeah. of the others are profitable. So um, two things. Well, you look at a school like A&M, which it kind of exemplifies this trend. They um, they were struggling eight years ago, uh, both on the field and you know in their finances. Um, and largely, it kind of looks like those two things are correlated. Um, they since the since 2007, 2008, they've moved to the Big 12. I mean, the SEC. They've uh, gotten better football teams um, and had this uh, this guy Johnny Football you might have heard of Johnny Manziel right. who really raised the profile of the university now working at a Whataburger exactly. on I-10 <laughs> right. Right. exactly and um, over that time the revenue for football has grown by a hundred million dollars which is pretty astounding because uh, at, at uh, you know 
they weren't making $100 million. It's you know doubled, maybe tripled. Uh, part of that has been uh, fundraising for uh, Kyle Field. They, they re- reconstructed the stadium and got a lot of one-time donations from there. But basically, they've gone so from— So the numbers that we published are actually skewed a little bit a in little the bit. direction of inflating— By that capital campaign. —what appears right. to be A&M's profit right. because the margin that we're showing— reflects donations made on a one-time basis that's right. specifically for the right. stadium. That's right. And so um, the one— I always thought that actually UT had a much bigger— they d- And in fact, it's a much more profitable program on, on in a normal year. And, and year over year, they do. This last year, they, they did not. And, um, you know, the thing is, is that— So, yeah, eight years ago, the university was uh, at A&M was loaning the athletic department money to keep it, you know, solvent. And now A&M is— has reached a point where they're making so many, even without those donations, that they're going to start sending money back to the university, which people are really excited about. And prior to then, only really UT had been doing. Um, now, at the other schools, the, the smaller sports schools, things are completely different. And like I said, the, um, the revenue has not kept up with the growing expenses. And that has basically meant that they're looking to the, the general university, the academic side of the university, and the students to make up the costs. So they're shaking down the students for the money. Exactly. And so the, the numbers we had in one of the stories was uh, in 2008, those, those five universities, uh, the students contributed $27 million in student fees to the athletics department uh, last year. They contributed fifty-seven million, so I'm, it's more than doubled in eight years. I may be remembering this wrong. Texas State has the highest student fees for this. It's like three hundred a semester. That's yes, that, I, I believe that's right. Um, and it's uh, Texas State uh, and UTSA uh, both, I think, pay the most. Can I defend that or attempt to defend that? I, I, know, I don't I, know. Can you? I don't know. Well, I'm going to try. Well, I'm going to try. And if you if, if you got to look at me, I'm not exactly the person who you think would be the big defender of college sports. I don't, I'm not. I'm not the typical fan because um, mostly I don't care about this stuff. But I actually think that if you step back from college sports and you think about higher ed, there is something to be said for the university community, which in turn pivots off of the view that the people in the community have of the university and its brand, the environment and the experience. And university athletics does contribute when successful, especially, but even when not successful, to the community. If you go to a school that has college sports and your teams are playing and you go to games and there is kind of a, a sense of of, of, uh, of purpose and being and community there. I know that people on the academic side believe that athletics gets all the glory and gets all the money and everything else, but there is something about the wholeness of the experience. I think it's modest to ask, a modest amount of money we're talking about in these cases, for students as part of their fee structure to pay to enable an athletics program that ultimately lifts the the sort of self-confidence and the view that people have in the in the university and in the and in the experience in the same way that you contribute fees to other aspects of the campus that ultimately make it a pleasurable experience for you to be there i kind of think that students helping to to subsidize these programs is not the biggest scandal in higher ed i i think that uh those are that is a perspective that a lot of people have, and I think it's a very smart, a, a very good point to make. Um, I would say you can continue to work here. I would say <laughs> I would say two. Put down the gun. <laughs> there are two things to that that should be pointed out when when you say that, though. And one is that there's a kind of an inverse situation here, which is that the schools that benefit the most from that, the UTs, the A and Ms, and the Texas Techs, are also the schools where the students aren't 
having to spend this money. Right. So you look at like A&M or UT where there's over 100,000 people going to the football games each week. Those students don't have to contribute to the athletics department. But at UNT, where last year the average attendance was 13,000, they are the ones spending the money. So, and that's the thing is that, uh, you know, a lot of times when these uh, fees are increased or the, the money from the university is raised, it's because these schools are saying, we're, we're having a hard time keeping up. We need to become right. more competitive. But of course, if you're, in a, if you're an alumnus of Texas State mm-hmm. or you're an applicant to Texas State, back end, front end, the fact that Texas State is attempting to play in the realm of university athletics changes your perception of the school you attended and potentially makes you a more likely or possible donor mm-hmm. back. And if you're an applicant to that school, it potentially changes your perception of whether this is a place you want to spend four years. Even if they're effing up all the time on the field, I suspect that actually having athletics at a university like Texas State or University of Texas really changes the calculation for a bunch of kids who might not otherwise be inclined to apply. Well, you look at the Manziel bump that went through the snake at at Texas A&M. I mean, you know, their their admissions. uh, You're not calling Manziel a snake. No, no. I'm saying, you know, he was the bump that went through the snake. I mean, you know, they're... Uh, applications went up, their admissions got tighter, money went up, you know, it was a... It right, was a and boom. in fact, if you go back several years, when you were still back working at the battalion or whatever the hell it was, <laughs> when Reeve was reporting on higher ed for us in the early days of the Tribune, um, Reeve wrote a story for us about um, the late period of Mac Brown's tenure as coach and how the University of Texas was doing poorly and how, in turn, that depressed alumni contributions to the university in the main. And he quoted Red McCombs, who was a big donor to the university and to athletics, saying basically, you know, that the donors, I'm paraphrasing, but basically donors to a university like UT are not as psyched to donate when the athletics, uh, uh, not just athletics, but in general, at a time when the sports teams are doing poorly. So there is a correlation, weirdly, between the success of these programs and the ability of universities to raise money, not just for athletics, but for things across the board. So this leads to my alma mater, University of North Texas. Uh, one of your stories was about, you know, they after a year of going 1 and 11, mm-hmm. well, they raised their student fees, and somebody said, you just got to go win some games. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, actually, so the, the, the UNT thing, they, they raised their student fees in, I want to say, in the late 2000s, decade, the first decade of the 2000s, they raised their fees the first time and basically really struggled, as as you may know, really struggled in football in the years after that, you know, reaching basically one bowl game. And then they, they almost never haven't. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then raised them again before this year. But then th- that also happened at U- UTSA this year. They, um, you know, they have a relatively new football team. Um, and I, I think uh, uh, I would agree with you, Evan, that it's done a lot of good for the university. Yeah. Um, but when they discussed raising fees this year, the the student body president told me you know, in that story, basically, yeah, like we're not winning. Why why not spend this money? They they supported spending uh, student fee increasing student fees for buses, but not for uh, for their sports teams. You know where I think my perspective on this is coming from. I saw the new Richard Linklater movie not once but twice in the last week, and it's a movie about college baseball, right? The baseball team at Texas State, uh-huh. although it's not called Texas State. It was filmed in part on that campus. It's Did called he go to Southwest Texas State Texas or Sa- he went, Sam he, Houston? He played for Sam Houston State, right. um, but it's basically a college baseball movie although it's a college movie without college and a baseball movie without baseball. But we'll leave that to variety. It's a very good movie. But, it's good. but, but the point is, I'm like, yes, baseball at Texas State. Whatever it takes, man. The movie's good. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, that's one of the questions that's worth asking is maybe maybe should you invest instead of investing in football where it's really difficult for a team like Texas State or UNT well, to compete. Well, that's interesting. Compete or, in the lesser sports. Exactly. Right. You know, U of H has a very solid baseball team that has provided, right. provided a lot of pride for the school. Right. Right. Interesting. Interesting. I should do a shout-out for Calvin Bush, who's a freshman pitcher at Texas State. How do you know that person? He's a really great kid. He's a really good pitcher. Okay. It's a, it's a really fast fastball. Fa- family friend? Family friend. Okay, good. Yeah. you got to call out your friends, right? Talk about, speaking of calling out your friends, you were on stage a couple of weeks ago with Yosemite Sid. Uh, Sid Miller, the <laughs> agriculture commissioner of the state of Texas. Um, yeah, I was. Who finds himself hitting another pothole. I don't know that it matters, but this is this is fascinating. Right. Uh, uh, He's more Trumpian than Trump. Patrick Svitek's roommate. <laughs> Uh, Brian Rosenthal. So we go into familial connections here. Uh, if this were an Agatha Christie novel like Murder on the Orient Express, the lights would go down, the lights would come up, Brian Rosenthal would be dead, <laughs> and everybody would have done it. Um, and, and, but specifically, George P. Bush and Sid Miller would be the first two people visited by the police because Brian Rosenthal has been on a campaign, reporting campaign, legitimate, journalistically. Um, he's focused a lot of his fire on P. Bush, and he's focused some of late on Sid Miller. Last year, he... Uh, reported on the unusual uh, situation of Sid Miller giving out in the first nine months of his time in office, um, more in bonuses to employees of the Department of Agriculture than uh, Greg Abbott, Ken Paxton, and Glenn Hager had given out in a comparable period combined. Um, Todd Staples, Miller's predecessor at the Ag Department, in two and a half years gave out less in bonuses than Sid Miller did in his first nine months. That was reporting that happened last year. Well, since I interviewed Sid Miller a couple weeks ago, Brian Rosenthal has reported that it now turns out that those bonuses may have been a violation of state policy or at least of department policy. And then essentially on a a crusade to top himself in reporting on Sid Miller, uh, he published a story in the last week or so that detailed um, or recalled the details of Sid Miller's trip to Oklahoma in the last year, in which Sid Miller spent state money allegedly to meet with, at their invitation, uh, lawmakers in the state of Oklahoma who since say, we never actually invited Sid Miller to come. Brian reports that Sid Miller went on state dollars to Oklahoma to receive what is known and will always famously be known now as a Jesus shot. So it's the a, trip cast goes full circle, right? An injection that apparently relieves one's uh, various aches and pains. I have a couple of friends, it turns out, who... Have had Jesus have, shots? Well, have had friends or family who had these, and it's basically a cortisone shot, and it's really popular in the rodeo circuit. Why do we have and to call it a Jesus shot? Why can't we call it a cortisone shot? Well, because shot? it's mar- you know, marketing. Is it? Is, it, <laughs> is that it? Yeah. It's, you know, it's got some other additives and ingredients, and the guy, the doctor who administers it has been... Um, what in, is the, in legal what exactly trouble is the, for it. What is the Jesus part? Well, it's basically the shot that will relieve you of all pain. It's you know, it's like a it's like a message from Jesus. My right? memory is that and Jesus ended on the his life <laughs> in a fair amount of pain. It's Why a, is this properly named? Uh, <laughs> we'll send you to we'll send you to liturgical classes, remedial return. This is this <laughs> is where this is where being a, a, a non-observant Jew just screws me on the podcast because I don't know enough about this. Anyway, stuff they call it they call it that. It's basically a cortisone shot, and it's popular with. On the rodeo circuit, and Sid Miller was was a rodeo guy before he was our Sid Miller. But honestly, I mean, <laughs> honestly, Miller, honestly, so, so now Jesus shot is like the greatest expression so now in the he, history you know, of expressions. He's, he not only is in this uh, box for the moment about 
getting reimbursed by the state for this trip, but you know it's got it's got Jesus shot, you know, which well, writes, nobody, writes its own headlines. And nobody is jamming him up on the cupcakes or the deep fryers or the soda machines back in schools, and really nobody is jamming him up on the bonuses, and really nobody is jamming him up on Hiroshima in a formal or way or on, on the Facebook and, post, and, and, and nobody and. is jamming him up in a formal way, even on the attempt to raise, which he has done, fees on various things administered by the Ag Department after Sid Miller said explicitly in a, uh, during his campaign for Ag Commissioner, I will not raise fees. This actually has the potential to open up Sid Miller to an ethics investigation. But so far, Nary Atkins. No, there's a story about that. Yeah, today. There, is, there was a complaint filed by a political group. I and think. Eva, Eva Moravic, Texas, right? Eva Moravic has a story today saying that the new means of investigating public officials for corruption, for alleged corruption, since the last session where they took it out of the Travis Kennedy DA's office and have now set up this new apparatus, may actually not be ready or or up to the task of going after yeah. this Miller thing. Which I is sh- where my Trump line comes yeah. from. It's sh- like nothing's going to happen. I think this is a quorum report uh, post yeah. that even I think even we Robert should just know, as we were talking about this, there's a new story on the San Antonio Express News website. Sid Miller posts fake photograph of Obama with Che uh, Guevara t-shirt. I saw that so. post this morning, and I, what I noticed about it, what I noticed about it was that, it, that, that Sid Miller, because I now get a face, I now get a digest of Facebook posts by state legislators, somebody signed right. me up for that. Thank you, God. That's like the best Christmas gr- president it, it in the world. It is a great Because mostly great when I open it up every day, it's Sid Miller, Sid Miller, Sid Miller, Sid Miller, Sid Miller. So the first one of those posts today was Sid Miller. He posted a picture of Obama with a Che Guevara T-shirt, and he said that he was outraged that Obama did not come home after the Brussels bombing to meet with European leaders, which I didn't know was in the in the works. And I kind of wondered about it from a why is he atta- he's attacking Obama on this? It would be surprising if the European leaders left Europe after the bombing. Well, that was my Washington. point. Are they hanging in? But but yeah, right. it's a fa- it's it's a fake picture. Apparently. Well, it's a, it's a, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> And the world continues yes, to turn. This is just it's a photo so illustration, I think. Um, this is the greatest. This is the greatest. <laughs> if you have any questions or comments, email them to Evan Smith. No, email them to Tribcast at Texas Tribune. It was a Jesus or, Photoshop, probably. Yeah. Right? We have or to come to up with a name for it. Jesus You can also sign up for Tribcast alerts at texastribune.org slash Tribcast. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. Oh, on just, thank Sid, just thank Sid Miller also. We should we just be thanking we Sid should... Miller and every podcast just for existing. Done and done. On behalf of Evan, Patrick, Matthew, and our producer, Todd. And Sid Ross. Miller. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Hey, 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 how's it going? Hey, hey. <laughs>